Welcome to A Pair of Bookends, the book club you can carry anywhere. We are your hosts and hopefully your new bookish pals. I'm Hannah MacDonald. And I'm Lydia Clare. Welcome to another episode in our debut Spotlight series, where we shine a light on the freshest authors and their work. Today we put the spotlight on One Last Chance, a heartbreaking and unforgettable love story. We meet Lou, a woman consumed by the concept of what if. Suddenly she gets the opportunity to have infinite chances to explore the what-ifs in her life. But Lou is about to realise that the greatest what-ifs aren't the ones we expect, but the ones we choose to fight for. Sarah Jost is a novelist, housemistress and French teacher based in Buckinghamshire. Born and raised in Switzerland, Sarah studied medieval French, modern French and history of art at Université de Lausanne, as well as working as a publishing assistant alongside her studies. She's a graduate of Curtis Brown's three-month selective course and her debut novel, One Last Chance, was published in April as a lead fiction title for Piatkas. And I'm so pleased to have Sarah here with us today. Sarah, welcome to A Pair of Bookends. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. No, thank you. And I'm very sorry if I butchered any of their... <laughs> my oh, that was great. It my was great. pronunciation is always the worst. So <laughs> it's oh. one of my favourite things. One of my favourite things this podcast is watching Hannah try and pronounce the various words she has to put out. away. <laughs> yeah, there's quite a, quite a few French names and kind of place names in, in my book and people always ask me, how do I say this? How do I say that? But no, you did really well. Thank you. Well, there you go. I'm very glad. So, Sarah, what we always like to start with is to ask you our favourite question, which is what, if anything, are you currently reading? So I've just started uh, to read a thriller by uh, Lisa Jewell. So I've um, just picked up The Night She Disappeared. Um, I'm not really a big thriller reader, but I'm editing my second novel at the moment. So I'm trying to avoid reading too much in the same genre to kind of just read something. And I'm also really terrible with um, with plotting. So I thought if I pick up a, a thriller, and I know she's a queen of the, the genre, you know, just kind of try to learn to plot better and to kind of keep my characters active and moving. So I've just started it and I'm already hooked. It's really, really good. I also just finished, uh, before I started editing, I finished the latest uh, Vary McFarlane, uh, Between Us. I don't know if you've read that. Uh, she's, yeah, she's amazing. She's kind of the best end of kind of women's fiction. She deals with really deep kind of psychological themes, but all with a bit of a, a rom-com kind of um, trope to it. So I really, really adore her. So she's a, an auto kind of buy from me. So I was delighted to get that in the post in May. Lovely. Is that coming out soon or is it already out? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's out. It came out last month, I think. Yeah, oh. so it's out. So you can you can buy it if you want it. Yeah, it's great. Some fabulous recommendations. I uh, haven't read any Lisa Jewell, but I've heard so much about her. So. I keep her name just kept popping up and all the yeah. others that I admire just kind of swear by her. So I just thought it was time that I would. But you know when you start a new author and you're like, I've got all those books. I don't know which one to, to pick mm. up. Where do I start? So yeah, just begged. I think that's quite a recent one. And it just, uh, the yeah, the kind of hook just grabbed me. So I'm um, really enjoying it. Amazing. So our debut spotlight episodes, um, we like to start off by asking what your experience has been like in having your debut novel published. And I'd love to know, when did you first know you wanted to write a novel? So I always wanted to write. I think I started writing in French, obviously, in my, in my first language in Switzerland when I was about 10. So I always kind of wrote fiction, but I, I wrote novels when I was a teenager, but I think they were probably quite short, more like kind of long short stories. And I would kind of write 
write them in um, in uh, in school exercise books and give them to my friends to read. You know, like the one copy that existed. <laughs> then when I moved to the UK, I kind of stopped writing and I learned English first. Uh, so I kind of learned it from scratch when I moved about 15 years ago. So it took me a few years to find the yeah the kind of confidence and maybe the even the willingness to kind of start writing again because my brain was so busy just learning that new language and kind of dealing with a new culture and kind of learning all the stuff I needed to learn. So yeah, I kind of wrote a very, very bad novel about probably about seven years ago and nobody will ever see it. It's just <laughs> terrible. And then I wrote another one, first draft, and then I thought, well, maybe I can do this. So then I managed to get on the onto the Curtis Brown course. So that's when I, I started um, this novel that just came out, you know, a bit more seriously. So was this technically your third novel, the third yeah. novel that you've written? I think you could say that, but again, it's the first one that I really sent off or that I really kind of edited myself as well. I think the first two were probably, I didn't know what I was doing. So it was kind of two first drafts and probably didn't believe in the story enough. Or I didn't feel, you know, happy with it enough to kind of really work on it. So um, I think as you as you know, it takes so many drafts and trials and errors to kind of get to a, a level that you even maybe have a chance to get anywhere with when you send it off. I kind of learned by doing, it's like yeah. moving to the country to learn English. I kind of learned immersed in it. So I had to write and write and write and get it wrong before I got it hopefully a bit right. Absolutely. I love hearing about what kind of things writers have got hidden in their drawers. Like I wonder <laughs> how many drafts that people have got sitting in them. Yeah. <laughs> All these things that are like unfinished or like just not been put out into the world. But as you said, like they, they just tell you to keep writing, don't they? So yeah. whatever you write like, will help you. It's like probably if you you know, if you want to be a potter, you have to learn and you make some pots that probably wouldn't be waterproof at first, but <laughs> stuff like that. So I think it's a similar process. Yeah. Yeah, that's so true. What is it like writing in English? Have you, did you write the novel in English first or? Yeah, you did. Okay. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Um, I think again, I think like I said, it just took me years until I got to the point where I just felt like I owned the language enough and I kind of knew the language enough. And then because I... Well, I moved to the UK when I was kind of early, mid-20s. So, so many of my formative kind of years in terms of maturity and emotional de development have kind of happened in English. I feel like it's become my first language. And I know I don't sound British, but um, it's really the way that I think, the way that I feel almost is is influenced by that, by that language. So I felt that I couldn't go back and write a novel in French. I think it would be, in French is much more rational as a language. It's kind of hard to explain, but we kind of, we can't say like, I feel feel that in French you have to say I think that you know it's much more kind of objective and all the the lovely kind of language around feelings around emotions kind of unlocked quite a, a lot for me in English as well through through what existed in language what the words that were available so yeah I think I think I'm definitely firmly going to be writing in English for the rest of my life now oh wow so moving on to the book itself now I I've just heard the words come out of your mouth that you are you struggle with plot and I don't understand how that is possible when this book is so well plotted <laughs> the timelines so for, for listeners at home it is a the general concept is about a, a woman that can go back in time to a certain moment in her life and she can kind of try different things out without giving too much away and the way that you layer those plot lines layer that timeline is just sublime like I don't know I, like I can imagine you in a, like a white room with with loads of, like <laughs> 
stuck on a wall like and here she is at this point and here she is at this point how the heck did you do that <laughs> i don't know it was the it was the product of many many you know many edits i think but um i think weirdly enough that plot came to me really easily and i think that's what really helped me is that idea that i had kind of more or less two years to play with with kind of similar dates throughout the years and five goals at those five years uh those two years and i was thinking you know yeah the first time it's going to be like this and then because the first time it's not going to work out she's going to do it this way the second time and then the third time so very easily i could hold the whole novel and being like one two three four five and this is kind of roughly the those chances and how they go so that really helped me that made me feel really safe <laughs> i think what i struggle with is kind of starting from a and going all the way to z in a way that is very very logical whereas in that way it was all kind of character-led and emotion-led and that really i find that much easier but i love playing with the layering and the kind of echoes and the detail of it is where I really, really enjoy myself. So yeah, it was great that the plot was kind of had taken it care of itself and that's that's what I found quite reassuring. But yeah, thank you so much for honestly, it was so it was so much fun and it it almost felt like you were a little bit of a detective when you were reading the the new chance because you were like, Oh, I know this bit. I know this like this person has to be here. Why is this person not here? And it was just so it was such a fun and engrossing concept it really was yeah it definitely was but i feel like you know the timelines that you were jumping between like they weren't like small times like there were big gaps that you were jumping between so did you have to like fill those gaps in for yourself i think i must have done it quite instinctively does that Mm -hmm. make sense i think i had very much the kind of the key scenes in my head and i think because it's you know it's a love story but it's also a love story between her and her family and her sister and her friends so i kind of had those kind of different aspects of her life to kind of move from one to the next and I think quite naturally certain points were attached to certain parts of of Mm. each life as well so I think it was almost a bit like oh we spend a lot of time with that character and at the next day should be a time where she's spending with her with her mom or her best friend or something like that so um no I don't think I had I didn't find it too challenging but maybe the the story existed in in my head at that point so it was easy yeah yeah fill the blanks for myself I think that's what as well makes the book such an emotional read because uh, you'd be reading about one specific moment in time and then it would get to the end of that chapter and it would be like you'd be like oh no I want to read like I want it to continue and then you'd look at the next page and it was like yeah. six months into the future and you'd be like no Sarah what have you done take a back I'm sorry it's already quite a long book <laughs> could you just add you know a few hundred more pages for me that would be grand thank you <laughs> because, you know anytime I take I take some orders and I can do that some commission <laughs> yeah it doesn't help that I'm such a nosy person so I was like I need to know what's happened between this <laughs> <laughs> so your book has been described as perfect for fans of again I'm going to butcher this pronunciation perfect for fans of Rebecca Searles in five years and Matt Haig's The Midnight Library but I would also add to those comparisons that I felt sort of reminders of the the film about time and the book One Day by David Nichols in the, mm-hmm. the sense of that jumps through timelines as well and as most of these are at the heart of, of your book is is a love story as you said and I was curious as a reader is that a genre that you gravitate towards? I think I do but I think first of all thank you for those 
those comparisons because <laughs> there couldn't be a biggest compliment than uh, <laughs> talking about one day or about yeah. time. I love both the film and, and the book. Yeah, I think, well, I, I always gravitated to writing much more darker uh, novels and kind of, I must be quite dark as a person in my brain, you know, it's all about um, really dark feelings and emotions. And Lydia's uh, like, I've met my match. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm trying to fight against it because I realise that's not what I really enjoy reading that much. So maybe we're different in that way. I just kind of, I was writing, as I said, one of my other first drafts of, of something different. And it was just so, it was kind of set in Iceland and it was so dark. And I was like, there's no, you know, everybody is kind of wet, damp and, and cold and unhappy all the time. So I just kind of left that aside and I just said, I just want to write something that I would, that would cheer me up a bit. <laughs> I know it's ironic once you read the book, but I wanted to write a love story because that's what I really deeply enjoy reading. So yeah, so that's how I, I got that that idea. But me being me, there had to be, you know, a catch and there had to be something, some quite deep and, and kind of sad themes to it as well, I think. But yeah, it was that, it's that push and pull for me. I kind of like the happy ending, but I also write quite, quite sad situations at times as well so I think the book is perfectly between the two it kind of goes back and forth between the two as well yeah I think this is definitely a book for because most Lydia Lydia's really not into romance at all and I kind of I have probably more toyed with romance than she has it's not something I gravitate towards but I'm more than happy to pick up like a romance story but I prefer romance that that has something I don't know what the word is Lyd but like something a bit kind of different to it and I think like this yes. not conventional. Yeah, it's not conventional and it's not like, you know, everything's perfect and wrapped mm-hmm. up in a little bow. Like I like that. So I would say this book, without giving any spoilers, this book is perfect for people that aren't always into those traditional conventions of romance. They like something that kind of has difficult themes in there that explores more complex relationships that doesn't have everything tied off very neatly it's there are like really sad moments it is a very emotional read so yeah I would say it's perfect for people like us who (laughs) might not necessarily gravitate towards that genre but this is a great book and I really really enjoyed it and I was so like pleasantly surprised because I'm always scared to pick up a romance but Mm. This was yeah, so worth I think it. It's been marketed quite heavily as a romance, but mm-hmm. I think, again, if you expect something really kind of tropey and if you want mm-hmm. to kind of know what to expect, it's not really the book that you might think you're picking up, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So I think yeah. it needs a little bit of kind of open-mindedness or somebody who might, as you say, kind of might enjoy slightly, I wouldn't say deeper themes because romance can del- deal with yeah. deep themes as well. But yeah, it doesn't kind of go or end the way you might expect um, mm. if you want to beach read if that that makes sense um but yeah i think the the one day comparison is just brilliant for me because that's the kind of book that i that i love you know kind of Mm -hmm. high concept but really kind of deep character study kind of complicated relationships and um really emotional so that's kind of the the vibe that i was trying to go for with this one Mm. and speaking of you just saying deep character study you also work as a housemistress and french teacher at a girls school and you've (laughs) described that as being like the perfect character study so could you tell us a bit about that yeah, it's uh, it's probably the most exhausting way of doing character study. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I can only um, imagine. Yes. <laughs> I'm saying just having had a whole full day at work as well today. It's, I mean, you're just surrounded by characters all the time and the drama and the friendships and, you know, teenagers. It's like every drama is kind of multiplied by 10 because we all remember what it was like to be a teenager and everything is a, is a, the end of the world, you know. So it's really interesting, but it's really emotional, exo- emotionally exhausting to be surrounded by all of that all the time and to take it in. So kind of writing is my bit of escape from it where I can kind of control the characters and kind of decide on their on their destiny. But also I, I am influenced by the the kind of dilemmas that I see or the the big yeah, the big issues that I see throughout my my students and the people. I would never put them straight in, into my book, obviously. But it just kind of really helps you get a feel for what young people and especially young girls are, are going through at the moment, which actually I think reflects what society is going through generally. So yeah, it's an incredible environment to work in, but it is exhausting i can imagine i mean i work in a school at the moment but it's a primary school so i can only imagine what their job be like. kind of yeah it's intense but i imagine that you've got it amplified by about 10 so literally it sometimes i just go home after after a day at work and i just kind of i can't even talk to my husband i just have to be silent and i have to be in my bubble for an hour and then i can and go back to communicating and being a normal human being. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've no idea how you whacking out novels whilst doing all of that at the same time. Well, I'm writing the second one at the moment, and I don't know either. You know, it's just not really <laughs> happening. It's good escapism. It's good escapism. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. the quiet of the writing room, that's what I need sometimes. Mm-hmm. I'm going to embarrass you a little bit now because I'm going to read a bit of your book back okay. to you. This is what we like to do on this podcast to make it. And the idea, go for it. But it's basically because, honestly, this page had me howling with laughter, howling with laughter. (laughs) And everyone knows that I love a good, funny story or joke in a book. And it has to be really good for me to read it out. So this is high praise. (laughs) But this is a, so Nick, who is one of the male protagonists in the book, this is him telling a story about the children in his year five class. So last Monday, Ellie comes in and tells everyone her favourite chicken is dead. Everybody around the table is listening, even Ben. All the kids are upset about Ellie's hen, who is called Millie, which is also the name of another girl in the class who Ellie has some beef with, and I'm pretty sure the name is deliberate. All their little faces are suddenly looking up at me, and I think, shit, I have no clue how to talk to kids about death. But I put on my reassuring teacher voice and I start my speech. I'm sure Millie is having a great time pecking worms in hen's heaven. She's in a better place now. I'm pretty happy with how it comes out and all the kids seem to have accepted it and are getting ready for our lesson. But then Ellie turns to the rest of the class and says, That's not true though. Millie's not in heaven. She's in the green bin. At that point, five or six of them start crying and asking, Sir, is my granny in the green bin too? And I have to spend the rest of my maths hour talking to them about the meaning of life. <laughs> you know how I said I would never put my students in a book? Well, actually, it's a student who, you know, I had years ago who actually in year seven told the whole class about her hen in the green bin. <laughs> Not the green bin. Yeah, in the green bin. <laughs> that was me trying to tell her some reassuring things about her hen's death. But anyway, yeah, they didn't start crying afterwards. They were fine. So I did amplify the story. But yeah, that's an actual story. Honestly, it's 
hysterical, hysterical. The green bin story will stay with me forever. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad. I think that the, the humour that you use throughout the book, and um, we were talking about the narrative tackling dark, difficult themes, and but there's always this kind of undercurrent of fun and humour throughout the whole of it. Is this something that you felt like you really wanted to include, or was it just something that came out naturally when you were writing? I think it's part of my personality, to be honest. I think I think most of us in quite difficult professions and I would say you know teaching is probably quite an emotionally difficult profession with all the the pastoral care that we all all teachers have to do nowadays I think you have to have that sense of humor and be quite down about things and you have to be able to take a step back and laugh about it with your colleagues or with your partner because otherwise it would just all be too much Mm -hmm. so I think that's I think that's just me putting my spin on things and kind of thinking as well you know Lou is she can be quite a dark kind of depressed character at time and I know people sometimes find her a bit much and I think that's something that I definitely wanted to show as well is that she is an anxious person and what anxiety actually looks like in your head and how devastating it is and how kind of soul destroying it can be but I thought if I don't have those touches of humor it would just be too much so that's the way of balancing that as well. Yeah and both me and Lydia are also anxiety sufferers so I felt like you wrote anxiety and what it feels like to experience I thought you wrote that really well. Because I, I feel like some I mean you can sometimes tell when a writer hasn't experienced it themselves because they kind of overdo it a little bit but you kind of captured it so perfectly and Lydia is very much all about covering it up with humour <laughs> In a crisis, I'm the first person to crack a make a joke. Yeah, you have to, right? This is making things bearable. That's just the the way to do it. But uh, it can be a great way to deflate as well. I think, which yeah. sometimes is not massively um, helpful. But I think sometimes it's just need to take yourself out of the situation for a minute uh, and look at it from the outside. But thank you for what you're saying about about anxiety. I just I really wanted to I wanted to create a character that was, as you said, true to that experience, but also that would allow people to kind of see it and, and have maybe more empathy or more understanding of what it might feel like and why somebody might end up making the wrong decisions for themselves because they're so, you know, stuck in that way. And I was really fascinated by the idea of, you know, anxiety as being kind of stuck in worries about the future and regrets about the past. And that kind of keeps you in the present. And that's where the, the time traveling element came from. Love that. <laughs> so as Lydia mentioned before, um, your book does explore some difficult themes and some of those being being loss and, and grief through the cancer storyline. And I am going to be really careful about giving away any spoilers. So I know that you sadly lost your own grandmother through this, you know, horrendous disease. And my own Nana recently finished her cancer treatment too. So it's obviously it's a story that's quite close to me right now. But I wanted to know what was the the process like of writing something so personal to you? And and did you know from the start that you wanted to include that in the in this narrative? I think I did. The idea came Again, it's difficult to not give too much away, but to have um, a main character kind of confronted, who is very anxious, confronted to her biggest fear, which is losing someone that that she's very close to. I think that kind of came as a as a concept um, of the book, and maybe it's influenced by my my own anxiety. Like we said, I'm quite a hypochondriac as well, so I'm very much health anxiety based. Um, so thinking about all of that and how how people could could deal with that and still find you know meaning in their life and kind of find that that um, enjoyment of of things in life was really important for me to explore. I think at some at some point in terms of my own grandmother, yeah, we we lost her in. 2015 I think I was living in the UK 
already. So I kind of was that granddaughter that kind of flew in to see her and flew back and kind of that was, so I wasn't really, I wasn't caring for her, but I wanted in the book to very much pay tribute to my mother who did care for her own mother very much um, until the, the very end of her life and kind of how much toll that's taken on her. And maybe as a, as a grandchild, sometimes you don't quite realize you kind of take it for granted that your parents are caregivers and that they would look after you and look after their own parents. So that's something I really wanted to explore in, in Lou's kind of maturing throughout the book and, and the conversations that she manages to unlock with her mother eventually, understanding her own mum's position that help her find her own kind of role as a, as a caregiver as well. I think that was quite important to me. So it's kind of multifaceted, I think, the, the approach to that in the book. Mm. Definitely. I thought it was really beautifully written. And I think, you know, you, like you said, you definitely saw how much she matures throughout the book. Because I like I, I saw it as well with like my nana's doing well, but I saw like my mom stepping in to take care of her and I was really blown away by that. Mm. And I'm like you in the sense that I've always like, you know, had health anxiety and, and I have had anxiety and I catastrophize a lot. And like the the C word is like one of my biggest fears. So like yeah. when I found out my nana had cancer, I was like, well, the worst has happened now. So yeah. <laughs> it's kind of what do you do when you're presented with the or confronted with the worst mm. sort of outcome? And I thought you you did that really well. And yeah, I just I'm really grateful that you've kind of given that representation, especially of the whole caregiver role. I thought it was really great to read that. Thank you. And I'm, I'm so pleased to, uh, to know that your Nana is doing well. That's such great news. Yeah, thank you. One aspect I really loved about the book was the, the combination of cultures. Now, obviously, that's, that's very much personal to you. So it kind of does reflect your own background. Why did you want to put Lou in this kind of position where she's kind of part of these two worlds? I think originally it was part of, again, the past two novels I had written where I was trying to emulate a kind of British writer's voice and kind of to write the stuff that I was reading and kind of suddenly being, I don't know, coming to the realization that I could maybe never do that. But what I could do was to bring my own voice to it. And my voice is part of, you know, influenced by French and influenced by different languages. And I think that's kind of how it, her character came to life. It kind of felt natural to have somebody in my position to try and explore what actually my authentic voice would be in English, but through the eyes of a character who is kind of one foot in England, one foot in, in Switzerland as well. So yeah, I had a lot of fun and that suddenly opened up so many possibilities about kind of playing with words and putting a little bit of French in there not too much don't want people to get too scared but um <laughs> kind of I know her terms of phrase I'm not always kind of the same as somebody who would be a native speaker sometimes I think probably her sentences are longer but you're kind of in her head so that was quite freeing to do at this stage but yeah a lot of people do ask me if it's autobiographical is it autobiographical mm-hmm. and it's always quite a surprising question because there's, apart from the fact that she's Swiss like me, there's kind of nothing that in the book actually happened to me exactly in that way. Especially not the time of traveling. So I'm just like, which one do you think is? I can see where they're coming from in terms of it's quite unusual for a narrator. But I was quite interested in that idea of, you know, talking about the anxiety again, what it does to you to kind of not really feeling at home anywhere. And that's something that a lot of expats can, can relate to, I'm sure. Yeah, and I think that one thing that you do really well is capture British culture and British the way that that British people tend to speak to one another Mm. really really well there were some really laugh out loud moments where I was like oh my gosh that's such a British thing (laughs) I was like yes of course that's what we do (laughs) 
did somebody say that the word berserk and then they unpicked what the meaning of that was and it was like yeah supposed to be i think originally wearing a bear skin or something between yeah. ball you go crazy even you knowing go, that you go fighting it's something to do with fighting i am a bit of an etymology kind of you know i studied medieval french so that's yes. kind of all the uh, all the way from latin through to french and kind of i'm really passionate about where words come from if mm. I think that's probably the nerdiest thing ever but i love i not Definitely not. Um, <laughs> Absolutely you some, more. Yeah, you should see some of my French lessons to year seven. Be like, actually, kids, this is really interesting. And they're like, <laughs> but yeah, I, I am fascinated about language and I, I just find it endlessly entertaining. So just putting a few bits like that in the book, I just couldn't help myself. Yeah. I love I love reading stuff like that. It's, yeah, it's definitely something that I don't know. So I'll mm-hmm. probably, yeah, maybe we need to come and sit in the back of your... Oh, you're welcome anytime. <laughs> Don't give us an invitation because we will follow through. <laughs> oh, the girls would love to have you. They would love that. <laughs> now, a, another thing that I really wanted to talk about was your, and you touched on it earlier, your exploration of family and, and sort of the various forms that family can, can come in, the sort of complexities of families. And I especially loved the way that you represented that all-important sisterly bond. Lydia knows how much I love a story about sisters between the characters Marion and Lou. And their dynamic could be quite complicated at times, as most uh, most sisterly relationships are. And there was many a misunderstanding, but ultimately they there's this like fierce love between them that, that always comes through. And I'd love to know, why did you want to represent their dynamic in this way? I think it probably comes from my own relationship with my sister. So I have two sisters, uh, younger sisters, and they're kind of merged into the character of Marion. I don't know. I just she kind of she's the character that came to me the most naturally in the whole book. She kind of came fully formed, and her voice and her kind of you know she's so sharp and and uh, sometimes unforgiving as well. And she kind of it hides such sensitivity underneath. I really was interested in the in the tension between that tough exterior and that person who's got everything together and actually the deeper kind of sensitivity and and just the fact that she's feeling you know abandoned basically and that's why she's so mean to her sister sometimes mm. i think that i was just really interested in it because probably that's something i've observed in in myself and in members of my family and she just kind of came fully formed to me but i thought it was quite important for Lou to not lose sight of what she had left behind at home and it wasn't all about kind of finding a new life somewhere else uh, it was also about about kind of trying to find a way to keep or maybe restore that connection that she had with her sister and kind of acknowledging that she is, you know, her rock. Wherever she is in the world, she still has that kind of, she's her family. So I thought that was quite, that was quite important. And I think sometimes as an expat, again, when you move away, you kind of can reinvent your life and you leave people behind very much stuck in the life that they that they have, that they are not in a honeymoon phase with. And they're kind of dealing with, with problems, especially when you leave and your family then has some issues and and you you know it kind of falls to the people who are left behind to kind of sort it out while you're kind of away i really wanted to to explore what that can do to a sisterly relationship and how they can find a way to uh, to support each other to be there for each other and to yeah and to kind of deepen their connection i loved the way that you like would flicker back to their like past memories mm-hmm. together and then you would kind of see them in their in the present 
state where they're kind of communicating via like FaceTime or whatever. And, you know, you can see how their relationship has like formed and evolved over the years mm-hmm. and, and that connection between them. But I really liked that with the, the chances, we weren't just seeing these chances between Nick and Lou. We were seeing the chances that she had to sort of reconnect with her family and with her sister mm-hmm. and how she could build on that relationship and how she could make it better. I think that was probably some of my favourite parts was was the moments with her sister and with her family no thank you i think that's really something i wanted to explore is that idea of the you know the spinning plates as well that again if you put too much into one relationship the other ones go crashing down because you don't have enough energy or availability to tend to those relationships and i think that's the mistakes that Lou makes and that's why maybe it's quite different from a typical romance as well is that it's not all about the love story she has to kind of be there and learn to show up for everybody i mean it is different love stories i guess uh, throughout the book but she has to learn to be there for everybody and and build her support network in that way i think you um articulated one of life's greatest frustrations in that like you can't be the perfect girlfriend the perfect sister (laughs) daughter mother all at the same time (laughs) it's just impossible so when she tries to like focus a lot of attention on one relationship then all of the other stuff kind of like you know other things start falling apart and it's like oh there's too much going on (laughs) it's something i feel really anxious about so i was like yes somebody's finally said it oh so do i it's just like you've got a finite amount of energy and availability you know and and among all of that you have to tend to yourself as well which is quite difficult as well yeah one part i i mean i can't let you go without talking about nick i really can't and there is a, a, a kind of inevitability about certain parts of his story that is beautifully done. Um, one of my favourite lines that he says is, sorry I'm late. It's quite further on in the book and people, once you've read it, bookends, you'll know what I mean, but sorry I'm late. Honestly, I had to shut the book. I was like, <gasps> we are now in a minute. It was just absolutely wonderful and you created such a beautiful empathic well-nuanced character with Nick what did you want to convey with Nick's character and his journey without giving too much away I think I just wanted to write a nice guy yeah you know, when I think romance kind of love interest, I always think about kind of dark hair and broody and kind of mean, but actually he's because he really loves her. And don't get me wrong, I really enjoy that kind of trope sometimes as well. But I just thought, what about just writing a nice guy and somebody who is quite open and who listens very well, who can connect with people, who is really friendly, who, you know, can get the center of attention like the story that you read about about the hen in the green bin and somebody who has a sense of who really enjoys life so I think I just wanted somebody who can bring that sense of mischievousness and 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 spark out of Lou as well that she does have and together they kind of bring that out of each other when they're at, at their best in their relationship I mean my husband thinks that Nick is completely based on him but <laughs> it's not the case I mean I don't know if he's going to listen to that he probably will but it's not entirely the case, but it is it is a note to just nice guys I think that sometimes get overlooked as well he does have have his own demons so I just kind of made sure that he had kind of backstory and kind of more layers to his character as well but yeah I think I was just interested in having somebody who is sunny and outwardly positive you know towards life as well I love him I do I, 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 felt, I fell in love with him 
listen, like when you re- when you start reading this book ends, I guarantee within the first like ten seconds of meeting Nick, you're gonna be like, Yeah. There's just something about him that he he exudes this kind of like sort of confidence but without being cocky and this kind of like generosity of spirit and this kindness and this caring quality. Like you could tell him your whole life story and he'd just say, Listen and then probably give you some really good advice afterwards. I think that's one of the most sexy kind of traits of character you can find in anyone really is that you know when you talk to somebody even if you don't know them very well and suddenly they're actively listening to you and all their attention now is on you and they're not just trying to think about how they're going to show off to you they're just actually giving you the time and space and you feel seen by them and I think that's I think that's another line in the book there's a lot of he sees me you know kind of visually but also that he's somebody who's able to see through all of the the sides that Lewis made be presenting to the world and that kind of prevents her from connecting that well he sees through that also because she's not expecting anything from him at the beginning so she's more relaxed as well yeah. so it's, um, out somewhere else so you know she kind of struts up to to him and kind of starts talking to him and he's just able to to respond to that so yeah i'm, I'm glad you like him I, I'm, I'm very fond of him <laughs> i don't like him i love him, I love him. yeah brilliant <laughs> Oh. But I think one of the one of the moments where I like really like fell in love with him was when Lou is really struggling with anxiety and she's trying to pr- put the pressure on him and um, to do something. <laughs> trying not to give a spoiler. <laughs> she's trying to put the pressure on him to do something that will um, help him. So she's not putting on the pressure. Just so the listeners know, she's not mm. putting pressure on him to do something horrible. She's putting pressure on him to do something good. And um, it's really hard to like <laughs> to not give a spoiler. <laughs> But rather than, even though he's getting really frustrated with her and it's getting quite intense for him, he makes the suggestion of her seeing somebody for CBT, which is something that he's been through himself. And I just love that because then you've got characters like Ben and Roman. Is that how you say his name? Oh, Ben, Um, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but you've got characters like them who you kind of know that if a girl was maybe becoming or maybe you know if she'd been the same with them they would batter off as as being too intense and they would kind of ridicule her or shut her down and he just didn't do that he was like still trying to be really supportive even mm-hmm. though she was getting on his nerves like and I just really loved that about him we need more more men represented in that way because mm-hmm. because they do exist and it was just a really nice contrast to the characters of Ben and Roman, who I would have happily chucked a pint in both of their faces. <laughs> All inspired from, you know, various Tinder dates I've had in London. <laughs> oh, like, oh, imagine in Duar, let's just take all of them together, put yeah, them in yeah. Ben. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, thank you. Thank you for saying that. I hadn't actually thought that much about that scene because for me, that kind of was so natural for his character. Mm-hmm. And I think it was also a way, you know, you know he's not perfect either because he's not doing the thing that he should be doing. Yeah. But as you say, he is trying to be really supportive and kind of try and help New deal with stuff she hasn't dealt with and try to help her be the best version of herself, but not in a way of, you know, that she needs to become perfect for him, but that he yeah. knows that she really needs help. And because he's got that experience himself, he can really relate to it. So, yeah, I'm glad the scene resonated with you. Such a gorgeous character. (laughs) And I'm not going to say any more on that. (laughs) 
my my final question i would love to ask if you had the chance to time travel and go back and change anything would you i think i wouldn't you know because i think i kind of like the philosophy that obviously everything that you do in your life would bring you to where you are right now mm-hmm. and right now i'm i'm really happy with my life you know I have a lovely dog and husband and <laughs> i'm living in a really lovely part of the uk i have a job i like so i think all of that and that wouldn't have been a given for me because obviously I changed my whole life and I um, just packed a 20 kilo suitcase and just kind of left at some point for a year 15 years later she's still here <laughs> so I don't think I would travel back in my own life I think maybe I would kind of just go back just for one day and spend a bit more time with my with my grandma and uh, that would be just lovely you know go and pick some raspberries in her garden or something like that just kind of going back to that simplicity of childhood when everything was really simple and you just felt really loved and protected and and happy so maybe just for one day I would do that but I've never been interested in traveling back in the past you know history uh, the Tudors whatever I don't think I would last very long neither would I neither would I and I'm terrified of the future because I have anxiety so I wouldn't go forward into the future yeah I'd rather not know oh yeah (laughs) what about you guys what would you do oh I don't know, you know, I've been thinking about it while reading the book and I'm really not sure, I'm really torn on it because I'm such a nosy person and I'm so curious that I don't know, like, if I'd, if I'd love to, I'd like, I'd love to be able to go back and try something, but just for like a day and then be able to come back and my life be exactly the same. Like, I don't want anything to change. Yeah. So, whereas I know that in a lot of like time travel stories, it's like, no, you go back and change something and everything yeah. in the future gets, gets messed up. So it's like, I don't really want to play with that possibility. No, that's fair enough. <laughs> What about you, Liz? I, I I don't think I'd don't think I'd be interested in travelling back. I'd want to go. I'd want to go forward. Oh, you're brave. I would. I, I'm too into. I, I'm always like. I've always got FOMO, so I'm always like, what's gonna what's gonna happen in the future that I'm gonna miss? I'm too selfish. Oh. That you're gonna miss. Yeah, because I'll die in what, like, let's hope a long oh, time. So you mean really yeah, far in the future? Yeah, future, right. like, honestly, like, you know, what's gone on? What, like Armageddon? <laughs> well, possibly. We don't know with this, this world. This but, you know, true. I don't know. Something might have evolved into something funny, like elephants might have fur or something. Of course, of course you're going to want to see something funny. It's not... I'd have expected nothing less from you, Lid. I really would. Listen, we just don't well, know what... to say something like really profound about the future. Sorry, elephants. <laughs> no, it's all about the sorry elephant. I love it. All about the elephants. Let's not even talk about elephants. It makes me sad. Oh, but, no. So maybe elephants dying of loneliness makes me want to just, like, cry. No. Not God. Sorry, but they also can make friends. And they have but to they be make friends. Sense. Men fight. <laughs> So, right? I'm not emotionally stable enough to be presented with these facts about baby elephants. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. So I finished your book earlier and I'm I'm not going to be okay for a while after I finished your book. Like, Sorry. <laughs> I said I wouldn't give any spoilers. Damn it. <laughs> so we do always love to end on getting as many recommendations out of you as possible. So that can be books you've read recently that you've really loved or TV shows or your favourite song at the minute casts films anything favorite song i have been obsessed with a french song recently by uh, clara luciani don't know if you know Ooh, her but I him, i'm right uh, did a gig uh in london in uh 
October that I went to with a friend and I didn't know her music at all, but she's really big in France. She is amazing. And the song that has been playing in my house since then, pretty much on a daily basis, is called, I think, Respire Encore. So Breathe Again. And it's just that really amazing, full of live party song about basically going clubbing again after COVID. And that woman who's just having the best time of her of her life, just feeling surrounded by people, having the same experience as her and kind of dancing her, yeah, dancing her heart out. So yeah, I really recommend it. That is a really good one to to feel happy when you start your day. Yeah, I don't know what I've, um, I've just finished. I listened to a lot of audiobooks in the car commuting to work. Uh, So that's my main kind of means of, of reading. I recently read or listened to Elizabeth Day's Friendaholic book. Uh, non-fiction yeah. so all about friendship and the importance of of connection and i really enjoy that so i would really recommend that as well does she narrate the audiobook yes she does yeah ah, it's really good and um, she interviewed a few of her friends so she kind of does her friends voices a bit as well throughout the book <laughs> and it's really it's really nice it's very you know easy to to read or easy to listen to uh, non-fiction but it kind of asks a lot of questions that haven't necessarily been asked before about friendship and kind of tries to give a friendship a language that again we have a lot for romantic love but not too much about friendship yeah I thought that was really really interesting and quite inspiring as a writer about all the different types of relationships and, and friendships in that way so yeah I would recommend that one as well it's on my shelf so I need to get to that I know I've got it as well yeah. I love her um, her podcast How to Fail as well it's also oh, I love brilliant. it and uh, I, I love the uh, the best friend therapy as well that she Yes, I've been meaning to listen to that. So good. And again, I'm like, I'm just going to make notes for my my next book. (laughs) Like a good character. Just brilliant, brilliant to listen to. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, Sarah, unfortunately, we have come to the end of the episode and I am really sad because I feel like I've I've finished your book, finished this conversation and I feel like ultimately I'm losing time with Nick. So... Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Before we let you go, is there anywhere that our listeners can find you on social media? Yes, so they can find me on Instagram. So it's uh, Sarah Just underscore writes. And uh, on Twitter, I think it's at Swiss Sarah UK. So it should be easy to find on there. Wonderful. And I will pop those in the show notes and I will also pop a link to your wonderful book in the show notes. Um, I saw that, is there a different title for your book? Is, is that in the US? Yes. So in the US, it's called uh, Five First Chances. So it's the same book, but different covers and different titles. I also love the US cover as well. So no, it's beautiful with the, yes. the kind of uh, supernatural rain. Yes, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Um, so I will pop a link to both or both the UK and the US copies in our show notes. Um, but in the UK, it is out now and published by, I cannot say this word, Payatkus. 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 <laughs> there we go. <laughs> listeners please if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to rate review and subscribe as it helps to boost us in the charts you can also follow us at a pair of bookends pod on instagram and at a pair of bookends on twitter and tiktok and that's all we've got time for so thank you so much sarah for joining us today this has been really wonderful thank you so much for having me thank you thank you